Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. Now, while we are celebrating Earth Day here on April 22nd, it might feel more appropriate to be planning the Earth's memorial service. Now, Earth Day was founded in 1970 as a way to learn about environmental issues and help socialize them into you know, for wider publics, highlighting things like the sustainability of natural resources and directing our attention to the actual fragility of our world. Yet in the intervening 52 years, things haven't changed that much, or we might say haven't gotten much better. And it might also be said that our awareness has increased, but so have the negative impacts that we have on the environment. And attempts to change our energy production and usage and pollution have run into the wall, as we probably all know, of politics, conspiracy theories, and, you know, sometimes flat-out denial. And it seems that when we need action the most, it's the hardest to come by. And it, despite increasingly coming to terms with the reality of climate change, or we might say the climate crisis, adequate action really is still not being taken. And this can often lead to worries about things being just a little too late. So to help us explore some of these questions, we have Professor Franz Malison, who is visiting us at the Experience by Design Studios. Franz has spent a career examining not only the impact of people and society on the environment, but also what he talks about as being this larger question of creating sustainable experiences. So we talk with Franz about the nature of how systems based on profit, especially economic systems based on profit, cannot be relied upon to necessarily act in ways that are environmentally responsible. He tells us about his idea of being a scholactivist or combining scholarship with activism. He relates his own attempts to do so and about finding ways to communicate more broadly through emerging mediums like TikTok, where scholars can have a greater impact than just publishing academic articles. Ultimately, we get down to his advice for designing environmental and sustainable experiences being that we need to start with the simple. We need to do what we can in our lives to change our own habits, as well as to put pressure on organizations and systems to change. As we know, as systems thinkers, systems don't change on their own. They have to be compelled to do so. Our role as scholactivists is to help people figure out what they can do talk about how the rules of the game need to be changed, and even what weird things we can do to creatively combat complex problems. It's a very important conversation, and it's only going to get more important as time goes on. And hopefully it's not too late, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. What, one of the ironies that I was thinking about recently, my I do cross-country skiing, and I don't know. I know cycling's big in the Netherlands. I don't know if Nordic skiing's that big in the Netherlands or not. Is that a thing? No. Not exactly. Well, you know, I asked because, you know, for some reason, uh, Dutch cyclists are really good at climbing hills, and there's not a lot of mountains in 
I think it's the wind that trains them. <laughs> it's just an endless hill. You're, it's like a longest exactly. hill repeat on flat just by going into the wind. Yeah, we, we even had the, the Dutch championship uh, riding against the wind uh, two weeks ago. So that's, that's uh, um, one of the uh, constructions protecting us against the sea, which is about six kilometers long. And they have a, a yearly championship on that with traditional bikes going against the wind. Needs to be at least a wind four seven, and then they have that championship. Well, it's a nice it's a nice metaphor for life as well as our activities against climate change. Is you know kind of going against the wind. But I was you know we, we it's interesting in New England we haven't had a lot of snow this winter. We had like one good snowstorm and that's it. And so the place where we do cross country skiing they make snow. Well, to make snow requires energy investment in making the snow and or traveling to where there is snow, which requires energy investment to going to travel to the snow, which then can negatively impact the climate because now we are producing emissions that are part of the problem that are resulting in us not having enough snow. So as I was kind of looking at your work, it, it kind of starts to feel a bit fatalistic <laughs> in terms of, well, you know what, you know, is there is there an escape from this never-ending cycle of 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 impacting the ecosystem negatively that's producing the outcome that we're all trying to avoid? Yeah, well, that is the big question, of course. Um, and and we have to believe that there is. It's that simple. We have to believe. Uh, otherwise, it, it it does indeed become fatalistic. And um, I, I I do have to admit, though. Um, am I am I at this point fully convinced that we'll 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 manage to turn things around in time? I'm not, um, and that 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 also explains the way I approach my work and my role. Um, um, because if if one thing is very clear, it is that we cannot continue with with the way we do things right now in the system in which we try to do things, and and, and the system that actually forces us to do the things that we do. Um, but we also find it extremely difficult to change that. Um, right. And there's, there's so many self-reinforcing mechanisms in that system that, that, that really complicate matters when it comes to escaping it. Um, and and, and that, is, that is really the, the big question. How do we escape those self-reinforcing mechanisms? Um, yeah. And you don't have an answer for that right now that you can just give us and we can have a short podcast? No, I would have won the Nobel Prize if I had. Um, <laughs> but no, um, I have parts of the answer like like a lot of other people have parts of the answer and whether all of those parts together have the full answer. Um, in theory, yes. In theory, we know what we need to do. Um, there's, there's lots of, 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 of um, especially the last few years, publications that explain to us exactly that one of the things that we need to do, for instance, is to find a way to lead happy lives while not having economic growth. So to find right. smart ways of approaching degrowth. Um, we know this, so we know the answer. The, the, the problem is that that our power structures and our current socioeconomic system are making it pretty difficult to actually pursue that. It's such an interesting, you know, there's so many threads there. One of them is... And one of the reasons I like experience research or experience design area is that it's a place in which disciplines are coming together to have these conversations. And, 
if when people talk about wicked problems, sustainability is one of the wicked problems because it's so complex that you can't rely on any one discipline to provide the answer that it's, it, there's many disciplines that need to come together to work together, but yet how do we find those spaces to do that? And, and academic environments typically isn't one of those spaces because we often operate in a lot of institutions and silos doing our individual work that gets published in individual disciplinary outlets, you know, where there's not a lot of communication. And so then how do we come together to have, to, to, to compare notes and to have those conversations to design experiences or, or design strategies that can encompass the complexity of what we're trying to deal with? Well, I think one of the, the keys here is, as you say, if, if, you, if, you, if you know the answer, but the only way you communicate it is in, in that journal in your field, um, which is, let's be honest, read by three people at most, um, that's not, that's not going to accomplish much. Um, so one of, the, one of the things is I feel that, that as an academic, as a scientist or whatever, as a researcher, whatever you want to call yourself, um, your responsibility is not only to look for the answers, but also to look for better ways to communicate possible answers. Um, and that means that there, there is a lot more to it than publishing uh, as part of the academic red race. Um, for me personally, that means that two, two really important elements of that are that I try to... I try to write and do talks that are not academic. Um, so I, I, I make it a point um, oftentimes together with a colleague of my mine to, to write uh, opinion pieces in, in newspapers uh, that are read either regionally or, or nationally. Um, got opinion piece in the Financial Times at occasion. Uh, doing talks uh, like the talk that actually led us, uh, the two mm -hmm. of us, to, to meet and, 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 and get to the idea of having this conversation. Uh, and, and none of those are academic exposés of possible solutions. Most of those are me simply expressing my worry and my hunches about how we could escape the lock-in. So that, that's one part. Uh, I think... Um, the other part is, is that mostly probably to prevent yourself from going crazy, you need to find other ways to express the, both the importance and the frustration involved with thinking about this topic all the time. Uh, and for me, that's been, that's been one of the things that I've been looking into for the last, last few years and especially the last few months. And, and, well, one of the things that I've now done um, is I've started my own little uh, uh, ritual. Um, last Friday, actually, was the first first time. And as of this uh, moment, uh, for every Friday for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, I expect it will be necessary for more than one Friday. Um, I post a picture on LinkedIn with a little text which explains that this is my symbolic attempt to bury the business case for sustainability. Mm. And you will see me with, uh, with equipment and a coffin trying to literally bury the business case for sustainability. Huh. The, the idea that we, the, that we need to treat sustainability as part of our current way of 
thinking in terms of money, um, that it cannot cost too much, that it needs to benefit profit of organizations, that it needs to uh, help build reputation and, and, and all that kind of stuff that got us in the, in the problems that we are in right now in the first place. That's the type of thinking that we need to get rid of. And I mean, I've been writing about this for, for, for more than a decade. Um, but those three people that have read those academic publications are not going to change the world. So I'm just looking for new ways to get that message yeah. out there. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I'm, I'm exploring, and I, I'll, I'll get it wrong many times probably, but I, I need to find ways to do that. It's so interesting um, because it's both art piece and thought piece at the same time. Yep. And given, given it's, you know, and I've mentioned before on this podcast, and I know chatting with you, I live stream on Twitch, you know, at least twice a week academic content and once a week gaming with some academic content, right? And I know you're on Twitch as well. Yeah. doing doing your gaming content and it's it's been an interesting opportunity to engage in a broader audience around topics that are important to me as a sociologist but also I learn what topics are important to people and how they think about them. and it's much more of this dialogue than just a lecture which is what we normally do when we're teaching classes is you know teaching to an audience who may or may not care or have fully formed ideas, but at least in a Twitch world, you are dealing with people from all over the world. You're dealing with people from very different disciplines who are coming with their own perspectives and you're having a broader conversation than I could ever have just in the classroom. Yes. Yes and no, uh, actually. I, I wouldn't, okay. wouldn't necessarily agree with, with the last part of your statement. The fact that you could not have those kinds of conversations in the classroom. You um, can, but I would say that one of the challenges of doing that is if I'm in the classroom, by and large, I'm going to have 18 to 21 year olds. Yeah. Right. Whose motivation for being in that classroom are probably limited to needing credits to satisfy requirement in order to get a, you know, get a degree and get a job and nothing wrong with that. But if I have, there's, there's not many places that I know of where intergenerational interaction takes place. No, the, the, right. the latter for sure. I agree on that. And interdisciplinary uh, interaction takes place. No, true. And, and um, so in Twitch, when I say that you can't do it in the classroom, you can, you can facilitate conversation, but you're limited by the scope of the people in the audience. Yes, although I do think that you're selling many of the 18 to 21 year olds short in stating that most of them are there for the credits. That's not, that's not the experience that I have to be. Well, I've, I asked them, I'm like, why are you here? Most of them are like, well, I need, a, I need credits. Uh, I fit my schedule. It seemed interesting. I heard you were a good teacher in that order. Yeah. Um, I, I, I some of my teaching is in a, in a minor program, which takes half a year for fourth-year students in our university Okay, uh, from all programs. It's on, it's on sustainability, obviously. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's also on their own professional identity. And when I ask them why they joined that program, it is because they say they want to save the world. Yeah, I don't get that very much. And I, I, I teach at a private business school, by the way. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so let's let's add that to the mix of the conversation. Yes, yes that might explain the difference. Yes, that yeah. might. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And while there are those who want to change the world, it you know going back to what you're saying about the business case for it, you know, part of, we have a sustainability degree or program, 
at mm-hmm. a business school, a lot of it is couched in this business case for sustainability yeah. or business case for you know social entrepreneurship, right? There's a business case for doing good, yeah. which there can be. But at the same time, I'm also agreeing with you and intrigued by this notion of the quote unquote business case for sustainability you know, is the profit motive as we understand it antithetical to the goals we need around this, you know, avoiding the lock-in that you talked about? Well, I mean, if you look at what got us into where we are right now, it's the whole, we can go back to Adam Smith, but it would be unfair to blame him personally. But right. the, the the whole problem goes back to that type of thinking, which is that it is it is our responsibility almost our faith, uh, that if we exploit our our planet's resources in the smartest possible way um, to satisfy our needs and wishes, that we'll be fine in the end. If everybody just keeps on doing that, we'll be okay. That's the whole faith that our current system is based on. Um, And if you look at the whole idea of a business case for sustainability, the problem with that is that the starting point for that is not sustainability, the starting point for that is a business case. So once again, it is based on the assumption that as long as we focus on making profit, we'll be okay in the end. As long as we do it in a more sustainable way, we'll be okay in the end. Problem is, that's not true. It's that simple. It's simply not true. We cannot continue to exploit our planet's resources the way we do right now. We cannot continue to pretend that we can have eternal economic growth, even if we try to get economic growth with activities that we label as sustainable, we're still continuing to ruin the chances of having uh, the opportunity to do cross-country skiing or anything else in the future. Uh, So, no, if 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 you go for sustainability initiatives, your first and only priority should be sustainability. Right. It's that simple. I, well, one of the one of the companies I've talked about in my classes with students is Patagonia, and when they had a you know a, a business strategy around degrowth, right, a decrease, and and I don't I, I'm not as well versed as you might be, but are there companies like Patagonia that have actually adopted this, or even when they try to adopt it, even in the most genuine way, because they are a business, they still can fall short. You know what I mean? Is is that business case always getting in the way, even when they have the best of intentions? In the end, it is. In the end, it is. That that doesn't, obviously, that doesn't mean that an individual business could never make profit. Um, But the problem is now that if you don't, you will not exist for much longer. So even for Patagonia, um, even though what what they're, I like a lot of what they're doing. I mean, um for for um a company that focuses on on clothing for for people that enjoy outdoor activities to say that one of their core activities is to do courses for activists i mean i like that i like right. the idea that they see that as part of what they are about are they are they really changing the world not really because i i i don't see them changing tax systems. I don't see them changing regulations. I don't see them changing the way companies compete with each other. Right. Maybe they are getting a different type of customer. 
but they're not making it impossible for other companies to not care about that. Yeah. So they are creating a bubble which seems like a very positive bubble, and I admire them for that and I applaud them for that. But we need more than that to actually uh, change the system. This has been one of the interesting conversations I've had with people on Twitch around this kind of issue. It's like, and it's great. It's very sociological, right? That we have this issue of agency and structure. We have this idea that, yes, you can make decisions that are, or you can be a a good cop, or you can be a person within a larger system trying to do the right thing, but that system still hasn't changed. And as a result, the system is still going to produce the outcomes that the system is set up for. Exactly. Exactly. And and that you know that goes back to this question about you know fatalism, for instance, and and what the challenges of that are. One one of the one of the when we're talking about company cases, when I'm teaching students, one of the first questions I get them to ask is: Is the company privately or public, publicly owned? Because at least, especially in the United States, it might be the same in the Netherlands. Publicly owned companies are at the whim of the analysts and the investors who are looking for that short-term profitability over yeah. long-term impact. And so they are, in many ways, limited by the system, even if they want to do good things. It's like, well, they can be a hostile takeover. They can have somebody come in who is going to leverage them through you know, a minority shareholding you know, approach and then shift their direction because the system itself is really set up for that investor class and not for the businesses themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Maybe the key question then becomes if 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 you're the CEO of a company like that, or you're you're one of the management team of a company like that, and you you claim that you want to change the system and that you want to pursue sustainability, that that is what you want to do, then maybe the consequence of that is that you cannot be publicly owned in the current the current system. That right. you need to make the change uh, the the choice. To I don't know become a, a foundation instead of uh, a, a company on that 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 has shareholders. Um, maybe you need to become a cooperation instead. Um, I mean, I'm not going to claim that I'm a specialist in ownership structures of companies, um, but it seems to me that as long as you continue to accept the pressures and the boundaries of the current system in pursuing sustainability, you're not actually pursuing sustainability. You're just pursuing as sustainable as possible within the current system. And that's not what we need. I mean, it's a step in the right direction, but unfortunately, all of those steps in the right direction together still don't change the system. Right. I think, I think that's a, that's a really important point. You know, it's not, it's not a, you know, either or, right. But you can't only get so far and we've gotten to the point and I'm not a sustainability expert, but we've only got, we've gotten so far down that road that at this point we can't do, you know, good enough isn't good enough. Exactly. Exactly. We need to do way better than good enough because of the fact that people have not been willing to engage in this question for so long. No, absolutely. That's it. That's it. And 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 I mean the, the unfortunate or or maybe the painful conclusion is that there's there's not one individual or one organization responsible for this. It's it's all of us collectively. Right. Um, but 
the way we have organized ourselves collectively also makes it almost impossible for one individual or one organization to now change things. So we've created that lock in ourselves. Um, and this, this is the part where, what frustrates me in trying to think of solutions. Um, um, we started out with, with asking, do, do I have the solution? No, of course I don't. Because if, right. I, if it was be possible for one person or one organization to change the system like that, that would have happened already. Right. Um, the question is, I think, do we need to try and change the system from within or do we need to try and create an alternative system parallel to the current system and, and grow that? I mean, that's probably what, what, what one of the questions that we need to look into. If, um, if, if, we, if, we, if you wait for, let's say, the power structures in the current system to be influenced to the point that they will make the choice to relinquish their power in the system because they finally realize that the system is dead, yeah. it's probably too late. We, we just had this. I don't know how often you get to look at U.S. news, but we had the situation recently where, and it gets complicated for people that are American, let alone people that aren't American, but we had a situation in which the president, President Joe Biden, uh, for anybody who's listening and doubts that he is actually the president um, of the United States, he was trying to put forward this bill, this Build Back Better bill, which had these sustainability, you know, yeah. goals, whether or not they were adequate or not, they were in there. And then that was ended up being blocked by um, a senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat. And his family has major holdings in coal companies. <laughs> Yeah. Well, low and but you know, go figure that the guy who has like his family owns a coal company, right? That or has a major share in one, like one of those things, or his son runs one. Yeah. Well, there's a shocker, right? And that's it's really hard to get people not to be cynical because it feels like, well, as you said, if you try to change it from within, the system is good at preserving itself. It's very it's so stacked in that direction that trying to change it from within doesn't seem like, or incremental change doesn't seem like it's possible or feasible. And changing it from without seems so overwhelming that people then just kind of check out. Yeah. And that is exactly the, the, the dilemma that, that we're facing right now, um, which in the end, um, and I, I'm going to repeat, I don't have the answer for you. I can only tell you what the answer is for me personally and as a professional, as an academic, as a researcher. Um, for now, I'm going to try and do both. I'm going to bet on both horses. Um, and if that turns out to be a third one in the end, I'll I'll jump on that one. Uh, but um, we need to do both, I think, at this, at this point. And, and we think about another system and I know that you're at a unique institution as I'm at a unique institution in that yours is your institution is very applied, right? Mm -hmm. Very, you know, I don't know if like technical would be the appropriate term, but it's got an orientation to training people to do applied work. My institution is the same way. And that, that gives us, provides us with a certain amount of freedom to express our research and alternative, you know, methods than just traditional publications. 
um, academia itself as a system is not set up that way. And when, you know, when we look at promotion and tenure, it's looking at how many, what have you published in journals? Where have you presented in conferences? What, how many citations do you have in those journals? Not how many followers do you have on TikTok? How many people read your blog? How many, you know, followers do you have on Twitch? Well, actually, that's the weird thing. Um, it is actually how many followers do you have on TikTok, but then in this case, it's expressed as an age index, but it's the same thing. Yeah. But it's, it just, it's, impact. it's just academic TikTok. Yeah. yeah um, academic TikTok, which is far less uh, entertaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, you're very right. Um, no, this is also this is also why why we've over 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 the years, we've seen so many calls from people within the academic system claiming that the system is wrong, that it, it favors the wrong type of behavior, uh, which, which uh, was actually one of the reasons for me to leave my, my previous employer, which was a traditional university, where, and I don't blame those people because I know what they were trying to do there. They were just trying to provide the, for their own livelihoods, but they were... Mm-hmm. Literally going into that office at nine o'clock in the in the morning, uh, run a simulation on some theoretical model of production facilities with a specific variable set at one. Um, turn that into a publication. Next day they would do the same, but then turn put the variable at two. <laughs> Third day they would put it at three. That's three publications already. Fourth day you write a publication about the differences between the three and the five, fifth day you try to generalize what you found. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Henry Ford would be proud. Yeah, Henry Ford would be proud. Exactly. Faster horses. Um, but even though so many people have already indicated that they're not happy with the system, I don't see the system changing that fast, to be perfectly honest. Um, we might have gone to open access for a lot of journals, but now our institutions have to pay for our publications, which creates a whole new weird stimulus for maybe not the type of research that you want. Um, So once again, my personal approach to that is that I try to be one of those people sending the message that the system needs to change. And at the same time, I try to make myself as not reliant on the system as possible by, for instance, showing that impact of research can be different than the impact score calculated by the systems that we have in academia. Impact can also be that people actually like to listen to you or that they tweet about your research or that they uh, want to be in your course because the way you approach the topic is a little bit different or that organizations approach you that they want to work with you because they want to figure out how to do things differently. And that is also a way to create impact, not just the impact score calculated by the academic system. And the impact score is funny because technically it's a metric of how many times people cited a paper. It's not an indicator of impact. It's just a... No, no, actually it, 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 it actually promotes something that is easy to quote, which means that if you don't have an opinion that is completely different from the rest of the world, 
it's it's much easier to quote that piece if you are not contradict uh, um, controversial. It's easier right. to quote it and so on. So, so it it actually reinforces. It's the same reinforcing self reinforcing mechanism that we have in the wider system. It just let's keep things the way they are right now, please. Right. Yeah, because the, you know we recognize they work for for it doesn't work for what we want to do, but it's where we are. And yeah. it is what goes back, you know, again, sociological Max Weber is this idea of like, you know, the iron cage, we construct the bureaucracy, which then we are beholden to. Absolutely. And, and, and it becomes a game of who's the best at playing the same game. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I see this with, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm saying this because I'm not good at it, but when I see people who write grants a lot, you know, and that's a great skill to have, but you know, the idea that you get grants for research you've already done, that you can prove you will show again by doing the grant. And then just, you know, it becomes formulaic, but not transformative. Exactly. And exactly. we're at the point in our existence where we need to think more transformatively than Absolutely. just, you know, um, traditionally. Well, this is, this is in our, in our, in our grant system, especially here in Europe, one of the criteria often is is that you can um, explain very clearly what the outcome will be of your project before you have even started it. Isn't that funny? People have a hard time not in academia understanding that. They're like, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "Right." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that if 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 your project is is about trying to change what is there already, how on earth can you be expected to predict exactly what that will look like? I mean, that makes no sense. So, and, and this is, it's both, both funny and, and pretty depressing, uh, if, if I'm honest, because they are all expressions of the same system. Right. Let's keep things the way they are. Let's, let's go in circles because it's proven so successful to all of us. I mean, let's be honest, the system that we're talking about, um, up to this point in time, for most people, not all people anymore, I mean, there's... Oh more and more people every day that suffer the consequences, but for the majority of people in our world, it is still a system that has de delivered. It's provided us with, with material wealth, with freedom, with fun, uh, with uh, opportunities to develop ourselves, to make our own choices, and so on. So it is also really hard to give that up. And it's fully understandable that we find it hard to give that up. Right now, someone is looking at climate change and thinking... Are you still there, Gary? Because you've yeah, frozen. I'm, yeah, okay. you're, I'm, I'm still here. Right now, someone's looking at climate change and going, you know what? We need to start building boats because there's a really great investment opportunity there because people are going to need more watercraft to be able to get around. Well, as, as I mean, I know it's, it, it's slightly cynical, but actually, it's not that silly of an idea because if we are going to, I mean... My university, one of the topics that we teach at my university is tourism. Now, that is a tricky topic, of course, because um, how can you look into sustainability and at the same time teach about a topic that is all about traveling the world in ways that ruins the world? Right. To see the world that we love so much. I mean, same thing that you started out with, with your own hobby. Um, but what's to say that it has to be with an airplane? Right. I mean... I'm not one of those people uh, that thinks that ultimately the, 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 the great relief will come from technological solutions. Um, 
But part of it will have to come from technological solutions. And one of them will be we have to find alternatives to the way we currently travel the world. Unless we want to accept that we cannot travel the world. Right. And so electric boats is not that weird of an idea, really. Right. Yeah, because, you know, it's I, I just read something about this was like yesterday or two days ago <clears throat> that, you know, we've locked in one foot of sea level rise. Right. Yeah. Or something like that. That this is like, you know, it's like, oh, like, you know, one foot doesn't seem bad until you start to think about the ramifications of that, especially, you know, I live by Boston. I mean, I live far enough away that, you know, my my house will not become beachfront. However, you know, that's a pretty radical transformation when you add in what that means in terms of storm surge, when you add in what that means in terms of weather variability and 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 you know, the airport is on the water. Yeah. No, and, and that's the that's the thing, of course. I mean, if you tell people that, well, temperatures are going to rise with 1.5 degrees, um, I mean, that doesn't sound dramatic at all. Um, it's it's the consequences of that 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 rise in temperature that are dramatic, uh, and it's also the fact that at some point uh, we won't be able to control what happens next because we've left right. it to the point that that some some specific systems in our natural world are going to take over. If parts of Siberia are gonna are gonna defrost, there's nothing we can do to stop that. Right. It's that simple. If we if we leave it that late, we're too late. Right. Um, and I, even looking at the Olympics right now, there's you know, all the controversy around doping and human rights issues with China. And I'm yeah. looking at it going, what did it take to make all that snow? Because well, there is zero natural snow there. Yeah, zero. Although it did snow a little bit, uh, weirdly enough, uh, which disrupted the events, ironically. Enough. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> that's so ironic. I mean, <laughs> they had to stop the skiing races because it was snowing, right? Um, because that was interfering with the uh, artificial snow that they created. Um, but no, it 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 costs uh, a lot of water and a lot of energy. Uh, um, you can also question whether it, it makes sense to organize it in a country that is a big player in the problems that we have, to put it mildly, and also a, a, a country where um, not many of us would like to live at the moment, I would say. So it's questionable at the very least. Um, I don't know. And, and the travel there, right? I mean, the, I mean of yeah. course, traveling anywhere is a yeah, question, but... You know, this is where I think, you know, going back to something you've talked about, you know, you don't want, you know, being that person at the party who's just ruining the fun, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, oh, it's the Olympics. Isn't this great? No, nah, I don't know. You know what that carbon impact of everyone traveling to the Olympics is going to be? And then everyone's like, oh, don't, don't talk to Franz. I, I, I know, <laughs> I know, Gary. But that, that's, and it's the same actually in, in our conversation now. I think, I bet that both you and me are now thinking, Ooh, we got to be careful that this isn't only a, a, a depressing conversation. Well, I'm used. I'm used to being depressing, so I've I've just leaned into it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm I'm not that far yet. Uh, um, but <laughs> no, um, I I avoid this topic when I talk uh, when I talk to family at a gathering. I, I simply avoid it. Uh, is that right. simple? Um, 
Simultaneously, I think part of, of what we need to figure out is to show people that sustainability doesn't necessarily have to be less fun, depressing, leaving things, not doing things, and so on. Um, so that, that's a big part of what I try to look into in my research, is how, how can we actually try to create um, experiences for people that show them that sustainability can actually also be fun and rewarding and exciting and uh, something that you would like to engage in. Um, and, and it's probably also at, at a wider scale for society what we need to look into. Because if you're going to sell degrowth as something where we will all have to buckle up and accept less, you're not going to get a lot of people voting for the parties that promote that idea. So a, a big part of finding a way out of this is also by making the exit look a little bit more attractive than something where we all have to just accept that it's going to be less fun. Right. One, one of the, I don't know if you know him, one of your countrymen, Max Laursa. Mm-hmm. Probably saying his name incorrectly, but he was on the podcast, and because I met him at the same event, and one of the things that he was talking about his their work is doing is this moment when astronauts see the planet from space, and this transforms their perception of the fragility of all of us being interconnected. And how do yeah. we how do we extend that to a broader audience? Scale it beyond yeah. just traveling to space and do it through VR or AR or caves, you know, where people can become immersed in this. Do you see, have you looked at opportunity to try to shift people's perception you know, to create these sustainable experiences through yeah, using these kinds of mechanisms? Well, the interesting thing is you don't have to take people into space to appreciate the planet. I mean, we've known for a long time now that there's something called biophilia, which simply put, if you put a lot of plants and animals in, a, in the environment in which people, for instance, work, they're going to appreciate nature more than if you turn it into the sterile, white environment that a lot of offices and other work environments look like these days. It's not that complicated, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's, it's built into us. I mean, even though the last few hundred years might have given the wrong impression, but it's still built into us that we appreciate nature, that we appreciate living organisms other than just people, that we uh, want to protect our environment, actually. Right. So we just kind of tap into some of those tendencies that are already in there, hidden. Um, and, and I always use this example when I, when I talk to my students about this, about those, let's say, those old tendencies that we have, that our Stone Age brain, I mean, one of the uh, one of the things that we learned from the old days is that we need to appreciate sweet and fat because that's keeping us alive in in an environment that is hostile. Now, these days, we found out that we don't want to eat that much fat and sweets uh, because it's unhealthy. What's the best way to promote people from eating salad is to put some dressing on it that is slightly sweet and slightly fatty, and they'll eat right. the salad. Just apply some of those basic principles in every environment in which you want to try and nudge people in the right direction. And you can come a long way. It is actually not that complicated. Uh, one of the authors that I like, probably familiar with them, Richard Louvre, who wrote the book, The Last Child in the Woods, and also wrote a book called Our Wild Calling. 
And the, you know, one of the things in The Last Child in the Woods I really liked when I read that book is this idea of nature deficit disorder with mm-hmm. children that, you know, kids, quote unquote kids today, are in more structured activities. They might be outside, but they're doing it on baseball fields or soccer lawns or football lawns or things like that. They're not just out in the woods exploring, exactly. getting in connection with, with nature. And the opportunity with this nudging, this you know nature nudging that you're talking about, you know, reminds me of reading you know those two books of his about how we can reconnect with our natural relationship with nature that in modern society we have often become disconnected from. Exactly. No, absolutely. And 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 I mean, if if you just think about this, you can connect this to connect this to all kinds of things that we could do with our cities, for instance. I mean, one of the things that we need to do is we keep need to keep our cities livable. One of the ways we need to do that is to bring in more green, more nature into the city, which will actually make the people living there appreciate that more. So, I mean, the steps that we need to take are pretty obvious there. So once again, I mean, I've, I've said a few times in this conversation now, I don't have the solution, but parts of the solution unknown and they are not that complicated yeah and i really what i really like about that is it kind of echoes one of the principles i often talk about with people with companies or whomever is start with the simple right and when i think very often it's a tendency for folks to looking at a massive problem to think in terms of massive interventions and those become long struggles and debates and dialogues and everything versus saying, okay, we can have those dialogues and debates, but let's start with the simple. What's yeah. the simplest thing we can do right now? Go buy a plant. Okay. Yeah. You know, or, you know, we'll take a walk in the woods yeah. or, you know, something. And then you can maybe build that into getting involved with your local conservation commission, or maybe exactly. you build that into doing like trail work for a day, or maybe you then build it up into something else. So you can do both. It doesn't have to be either or you can exactly. go buy plants. No, and exactly. And it also means for for any type of organization that has employees, instead of trying to figure out what you as an an organization can do collectively, um, one of the first things you could do is say that it's okay for your employees to spend part of their time looking for what they can do individually while at work. I mean, just allow people to take their steps, the steps that they can already take. I mean... um, it's probably allowing people to change instead of trying to create a change at the system level in one go, because we're, too, we're going to be too late. And, uh, as I said before, uh, if we wait for the people in power to decide that, so we might as well start changing it bottom up um, when we can, and we can already do that. Do you see companies that are doing a good job at that or embrace that? Yeah, there are companies like that, absolutely, uh, in, in all sectors, really. Uh, you have companies that that um, seem to accept that it's not just about making as much profit as possible. You see companies that are changing their ownership structure to allow them to do things differently. Um, so, and there is not one example that is the best example. That's also not what it is about. I mean, every every organization and any individual should do what they can do at that moment, given their own circumstances. Um, I think that that's part of what we need to learn to accept is that it's okay to not follow the rules of a system that should go for everybody right now. Because that's what got us into into this situation in the first place. Let go of that. 
But okay. I feel I feel that also means that sometimes, um, and that's part of what I've been trying to to express to to my students, for instance. Sometimes that also means that you don't know exactly what to do, and you need to let other people figure out what is best. So one of the principles, and I now apply in every lecture that I give, every class that I give, is I'm not going to tell the students what they need to do. I'm going to ask them what I can tell them to help them to figure out what they can do. Right. And I think that is a very important step for everybody, actually. Let, let's not claim that we are that that we individually are the one that are going to figure out how it all will work out. Let's just try and help everybody around us to figure it out how to do things. I think that's a really important step. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that. One of the things that I've started doing, and it's kind of late, but you know, better late than never, is you know, asking students, you know, when they you know turn in assignments that, you know, be creative in how you communicate what you found in the material and what we've talked about, be creative in how you communicate that and what you turn in, <laughs> right? Versus me telling you, write a paper that is, you know, one inch margins, 12 point font, has these many citations, you know, using yeah. APA or whatever. Satisfy the requirements of showing understanding. Exactly. But do it in a way that you think exactly. does it best. And I think that sends the, the key message there, but because that sends the message that it's about uh, let's say the content of what you create and not the form. It's not about sticking to the rules of the game. It's about showing that you've done something worthwhile. Um, we apply exactly the same principle in, in that minor that I talked about. Uh, the final assignment is, is very simple. Create or do something that shows that you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish with this minor. That's the assignment. That's great. It, it, it's good. Uh, the irony of saying something like, Follow this rubric to show that you've been innovative. <laughs> it's like, well, we had, we actually had that at my school. They wanted to see innovation, you know, in yeah. classes, and they handed out like a like a six page, you know, single space, double sided document on what you had to follow to show you've been innovative. I went, exactly. I, I yeah, guess no, it's counter, counterintuitive. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's that's also um, that's why I love that one of my uh, PhD students is actually now starting a PhD, looking into how to how to do assessment in courses dedicated to sustainability. And, and one of the key questions that she's going to try and answer is, should we assess at all? That's I mean, question. does it actually make sense to do that? That is a great question. I mean, the idea of does assurance of learning assure learning or does it, you know, provide, does it satisfy the system? Exactly. And, and, and it goes into, to, let's say, those, those worthy debates about things like, are, are you pursuing education about sustainability? Are you pursuing education for sustainability? Or are you edu uh, pursuing education as sustainability? And in the end, we want to go to that, that third one where being part of that educational system helps you to make the world more sustainable. And, and how on earth are we, as the generation that created the problem, are going are, are we going to assess the people that are trying to solve it? That makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm, I'm seeing that in your backyard, you do have a coffin and um, you are digging a hole. Now, are, have your neighbors asked questions? No, not yet. But a, <laughs> the police come by. No, no, but a few people in my, in my little, a few people in my little town did notice it on LinkedIn and they started asking questions, including my own father, who did not fully grasp what I was trying to do yet. So it's a good thing that I'm going to do it again tomorrow and the week after and the week after 
and not just in my backyard, but I'm going to go to places that send a little message as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting way of drawing attention to the authorities, by the authorities to say, uh, you know, we've noticed that you have a coffin that you're yeah. digging a hole around. Like, no, no, this is capitalism. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm buried in capitalism. I, don't you agree with that? <laughs> and that was the name of my dog. I named my dog capitalism. I'm just kind of burying him in the backyard. It's a, it's a ritualistic oh. offering. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> it's, like a, it's, like, it's like a goat. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it allows you to sh- to shout "shut up" capitalism once in a while. I think that's a really good move <laughs> of doing that. I think I think you should you, you should you should be live streaming this. I think it's the best content or TikToking it. Um, I'm I'm I'm. This is I mean, and this is everybody got to figure out what they want to do. My idea here is I start with this with a photo, and I'm going to see what happens. I'm I'm hoping that more people are going to join me. Um, and that we can do this with a group of people at some point and, and with a big group of people at some point and that it will be broadcasted live on Dutch television. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I started in my own backyard with burying a coffin that was created by a colleague with leftover materials. you got to start somewhere. And it, this is an interesting moment to do that because of the numerous avenues we have available to ourselves mm. to quote unquote, be viral or have impact or create content. And I was joking with somebody as I was live streaming and that when I was doing my PhD, I didn't expect my job to turn into audiovisual production and engineer. You know, as you're figuring out all of the microphones and the audio setup and the lighting and the camera and all of this thing. And it's, 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 it's a lift and it's a hard thing to do if all you're doing is servicing a system that's looking for certain outcomes that they have determined are measurable. But for those of us, especially who are in systems that allow or situations that allow us to be more creative, I do think it's incumbent upon us to use that freedom to kind of trailblaze in ways that hopefully others are looking at and want to emulate. Exactly. Exactly. And that and that's and that's the fun thing. And hopefully it doesn't interfere with your golf game. On um, you know, and so far it hasn't. Based on climate change, that might be the only goal. Maybe meta is where we'll all end up because the climate will be so screwed. Exactly. That's why I play pixel golf instead of real life golf most of the time. Yeah. Oh, because of the golf thing? Uh, Well, I mean, once again, I mean, I'm not a saint. I know that golf courses are not good for the environment. Um, It's, 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 and and, and if we continue doing what we're doing right now, pixel golf will be only the only thing that will be left. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I I play you know first person shooter games because I understand in real life that gets complicated. You, slightly, yeah, slightly. You, start, you know, venting your frustrations in that way, it's better to do it playing Bioshock, yeah. which else also is a city underwater, which might be a you know portent things to come <laughs> with, the, with our with our one foot or you know you know sea level rise. We all might be living in areas that are like Bioshock and submerged, and this might be something we have to deal with. Yeah. So, no, but, but, but Gary, that, there is an important message in that. I mean, we don't have to be perfect. We can do weird things. Um, we can do things that people don't understand. It's all good. Just as long as we try to do what we can do to try and change that system. I mean, that's what it's all about. Oh, well, I, th- I think it's a great place to end. We can all do weird things and, you know. Exactly. Be weird and make change. Exactly. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Franz. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I'll end it there. How do you say your last name so I don't get it wrong, by the way? Melison. 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 Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write that out phonetically. Yeah, that's it.
I had, I had Max do the same thing. I'm like, how do you say your name? And so that was, and it's, it's Franz, right? Yeah. Franz. Yeah. Franz. Okay. Okay. That's perfect. Well, that was fun. I think it was. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, that's, that's, that, that's the best we can do. Eh? Is yeah. that people enjoy it. And I do think, you know, I know you, you're doing your thing, but I, you know, one of the people that I, it's interesting, you don't, you wouldn't know him, but, um, I forgot his first name, but um, he's a professor on Twitch. He goes under Prof Melko, but he's a person who teaches, I think his area of work is chemistry, but he also does a lot of work in natural sciences. This year, he's in Washington, D.C., working with actually my senator, um, Edward Markey, who's very you know big on you know climate change and sustainability and things like that he's working with him around translate both policy and translating things to constituents and he's been a very successful live streamer around science and sustainability for not only his classes but his broader twitch audience so you know as a person who's kind of in your world who is doing it in a different avenue in a different venue he'd be a, you know if you're interested he'd be a really interesting person to connect with around how we do this you know you know, activism as scholar angle. Yeah, I would like that. I would like that. So if you could uh, connect us, I would appreciate that. I will do that. I'll, I'll, I'll ding him on, on discord and I'm just making a note right now to me. And so I will um, ding him on discord to get his contact info. I'll send an email because he's been really, really good. And there's a few others on Twitch because there's this educational community on Twitch that I belong to. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's again, as you say, it's weird, but it's an outlet to have a conversation. Well, I, I, I love the fact that we ended up with weird is good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, you yeah. know, I think that, you know, the more creative and the more weird we can get, the more people will pay attention and the more they listen. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'll let you go. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll work on this and I'll connect you both and, and we'll keep the conversation going. Okay. Thank you. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. We want to thank Professor Franz Melison of Breda University of Applied Sciences for taking the time to discuss these super vital topics. And you can learn more about his work along with suggestions of what you can do around the changing climate in our show notes. And as always, we'd love to get in conversation with you and get a sense of what have you been doing around Earth Day or how do you approach this, this holiday, this way of thinking? Did your organization have any climate conversations or how are you feeling about the state of sustainability? Head on over to our LinkedIn page to continue the conversation. And of course, you can shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com and we'd love to get in touch. And as always, we want to thank everybody for their continued support for the podcast. We are approaching 8,000 downloads and we couldn't have made it this long or this far without you. Please make sure to keep your contributions, your ideas, and as always, your financial support coming. You can always make a contribution to supporting the cost of the podcast through our website, which is experiencexdesign.com. And if you would like to sponsor a future episode of Experience by Design, please send us a message and we can chat about it. You can also share your feedback at feedback at experiencexdesign for future show ideas. And if you want to subscribe and join the EXD community, head over to the website, give us your email, and stay on top of all of the EXD news. And with that, please stay safe, stay healthy, stay kind, and we will see you next time on Experience by Design. <laughs>